Chapter 132 of Barney the Vampire, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Barney the Vampire, Volume 3, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter 132 The Explanation and the Proposal A Tete Tete. A week or more had passed away since the visit of the attorney to Mrs. Meredith, and yet the latter saw not a sufficient reason why she should send for her friend. Things were not ripe yet. The colonel had, it was true, been melting gradually, but then to progress ever so little was a great point in anything, no matter what it is, something gained. Mrs. Meredith, however, by no means lost sight of her object. She had that steadily in view, and worked for it every day, and her daughter was no less assiduous, she was attentive and humble, waited upon Colonel Deverell with the affectionate assiduity of a daughter, while, on his part, he sighed and said what a happy man he must be, who should have her for a wife. It was arranged one day, when he appeared to be more than usually tender, that the mother should be out that evening, and see some of her friends, and break the news a little to some of them, a pardonable vanity in the lady, for it was not in accordance with her position in society that her daughter could expect such an offer as the one she daily expected. The lady did as she had agreed, and left the house, while Margaret went to the colonel's sitting-room when his bell rang, and hoped he'd excuse the absence of her mother, as she had gone out to see some friends whom she had not seen for some time. "'I am happy in having you attend to me, Miss Margaret,' I cannot be attended to better. I am afraid, as it is, I am a terrible annoyance to you. Annoyance, Colonel, far from it, very far from it, and I do hope you do not mean what you say, else I shall fear I have unwillingly given you some cause for your opinion, which I shall the more regret, as you are yourself so kind. I assure you it gives me great pleasure when I know I can do aught to alleviate the misfortunes, or satisfy the wishes of any of my friends." "'And do you reckon me one, Miss Margaret?' "'I hope Colonel Deverell will not consider me too presumptuous "'in looking upon him as something more than a mere casual friend or acquaintance.' "'Casual acquaintance, Miss Margaret, casual acquaintance. "'Well, friendship, if you allow me to say so.' "'Friendship,' repeated the Colonel, with a deep-drawn sigh. "'I would I could claim a yet warmer title than a friend.' I could then hope for some of those pleasures which are denied a solitary man like me. I should then have those whom I loved to soothe my deathbed, and whom I could benefit by worldly wealth, could I, Margaret, think I could claim a feeling stronger than that of friendship. Oh, Colonel Deverell, how can you talk in this strain? Indeed you, you are too good. Dear me, I do not know what I was about to say. Miss Meredith, said the Colonel, taking her hand with gentleness, and tenderly pressing it, I am seen to a great disadvantage. I have been many years fighting for my country, and I have not had time to cultivate those sweet and tender emotions such as I feel at this moment. Yes, you must have suffered much, said Margaret. And now, when I return again, I am somewhat the worse in appearance, but my heart is as warm as ever it was, and I am more than ever alive to the charm of female society. It is that unreserved interchange of thought and good offices which attaches me to life, and makes me live even with hope. 
Do not dispel this daydream of mine, Margaret. The colonel paused and pressed her hand to his lips, while she appeared confused and irresolute, and was unable to withdraw her hand from his, but at length she sank trembling into a chair. My charming creature, may I suppose this emotion is caused by excess of feeling, that, that, in short, I am not wholly indifferent to you? Oh, colonel, I'm really unable to speak. My beloved girl, I am loved. Yes, I see it. Oh, happiness! Amidst these broken sentences, the colonel contrived to slip his hand round the young lady's waist, and he pressed her close to him. For a moment she forgot his proximity and remained passive, but suddenly and quietly disengaging herself, she said, Pardon me, Colonel Deverell, I had forgotten, I was unconscious, a weakness came over me, and... You love me. If you have become acquainted with that which was a secret, sir, you must use it as such. But you must not talk in this strain to me. Promise me, Colonel, and... and... I will see about the tea immediately. May I speak to your mother? Colonel Deverell can do as he pleases. I have no secrets from my dear mamma. I will, I will, and heaven bless you for saying so much. I may say you are not averse to me, and that, with her consent, I shall not despair. We will say no more, Colonel Deverell, said the cautious maiden. You shall command me. You are the arbitress of my fate, said the colonel, who had become warmer and eulogistic to a degree. Much more, however, passed between them. The ice was broken, and they conversed more freely for when they began the tea, much was said that did not partake of so warm a character as that which had already passed, but it, nevertheless, partook of the same purpose. When I am married, said the colonel, I should like a carriage. I have no use for one now, as I could but very seldom ride, but when I had a wife, then I should wish for her accommodation as well as my own. But which do you prefer, country or town life? There is much of comfort and quiet in a country life, said Margaret, and yet I am not entirely wedded to country life. There is much of pleasure in London. So there is, and where you have no resources of your own, or in your own house, it is preferable. But when such is the case, London loses all its charms, or a great part of them. So it does, said Margaret. However, I am partial to both. I should like a partial town and country life. That, indeed, would be the very greatest delight one could experience, to live sometimes in one place and sometimes in another. So it would. By the way, if we kept a carriage, which I would do, said the colonel after a pause, it would be a very excellent thing to enable us to travel about in. Perhaps you have been to some parts and like them better than others. Yes, I have been to a good many parts, but I cannot at this moment speak of them, but we would look out for some place that would be more agreeable than others. Perhaps you have some place of your own you would like to live in? No, not exactly. These things are not of one's own choice, and not empty, and therefore are useless as residences. Certainly. Besides, you must be near enough to come to town for business purposes. Yes, I must, but that needn't be often, replied the colonel. But where there is plenty of means, there is no fear of not getting what we want. No, indeed, there is not. And one thing alone would repay me for the hardships I have endured, the misery I have suffered, 
and the misfortunes I have experienced in all my marchings and countermarchings, my sleeping in the open air by night, and scorched by the sun by day. And what may that be, Colonel? Why, the power it gives me of conferring happiness and wealth upon you, for, in the natural course of events, you will outlive me. Oh, for mercy's sake, don't talk of that, sir. But it is a matter that I can think of calmly enough, and, as a soldier, I have ample occasion, I can assure you. Indeed, I dare say you must have. I can remember on one occasion especially, which I will relate to you, if I do not weary, said Colonel Deverell. Oh, no, no, I cannot be weary, said Margaret. Then I will tell you. I was ordered to march some troops to attack the stockade of Puttythampur, a very strong place. Was it a town? No, merely a place of strength, where the enemy had gathered together in great numbers, and here we were determined to attack them. The stockade was a very strong place, and there were strong and high timber fences, with large mounds of earth and bags of sand, all tending to make the place one of great strength, said the colonel. What a place it must have been! Yes, it was very strong. Well, my party did not amount to more than fifteen hundred men strong, while the enemy, with the advantages of the defense, were more than three thousand, giving them a vast superiority over us. But we were not to be daunted by that. We were determined to make a dash, and, from the character of the men I commanded, I had no fear of the result. We were sure to make our way among them, and then we were sure of the result. How dreadful! Well, the men were divided into three bodies, five hundred each, and these into divisions of one hundred each, the one to support the other. We had no guns, and were therefore compelled to depend entirely upon our luck in the assault. Goodness me! I wonder how you could think of it with anything like ease or comfort. It would make me all of a freeze. Oh, Margaret, when the soldier is in the field of battle, he must get the better of all feelings, save those of honor. It is too true, said Margaret with a sigh. And then, said Colonel Deverell, we, having arranged our plans, and settled who was to take the command if I had the mischance to fall, good heavens! Well, I say, having done all this, we were resolved to make a dash at the point, and take the place by assault. To do this the more effectually, we were resolved to make the attempt in three different places at once, so as to divert the enemy's attention, and to place them in a crossfire, and thus take them more easily. This plan was carried out to the letter, and we made the attack, but the enemy defended their stockade so vigorously, and what with the strength of the place and the determination of the enemy, we were for some time repulsed, at least held at bay. This would never do, I thought, I must mount the breach myself, for if my division was held at bay, I had fears of the rest. They might meet repulses also, which would occasion the loss of our whole party, which would have been sure destruction. Not defeat alone, but imprisonment, and possibly death from ill-usage, or from malignant disorders. What fearful scenes! I ordered my men to keep close and follow me. We made a dash at the stockade, three abreast, and up we went. By Jove, it was fine work, a brave sight, a sight I can never forget while I have remembrance left me. We got up the stockade, heaven knows how, and were over it in the space of a minute. 
but the impetuosity of those who came first was not seconded by those who came after. It was easy enough to get down among the Indians, but it was very hard to get up, and while our friends were getting up, we were exposed to the strength of hundreds, only four men to as many hundreds for several minutes. Goodness, how dreadful! Were you not all killed? Except for myself, they were all killed. Each received a dozen wounds, and I should have met with the same fate, but for an Indian officer who, seeing me surrounded and thrown down, saved my life from the fury of his men. But in a minute after, I was free, my own men came down by dozens, and the blacks were swept off by the hundred. At that moment, too, there were our other parties just appearing over the other parts of the stockade, so we had now plenty of assistance. The blacks now on all sides fell in numbers before the fire, and the place was our own, and a hearty cheer was given that made the woods re-echo again. Were you not glad the danger was over? The danger was not over, though we thought it was, for suddenly the earth heaved up with a tremendous explosion, and many of our poor fellows were blown up into the air, and I myself was completely knocked over and smothered in dirt. However, it was dry, and we were soon put to rights again. I was picked up, and nothing more happened. What was the cause of your disaster? Oh, a mine the scamps had sprung as they were retiring, hoping to do us more mischief than they did. However, we beat them off, and they lost many men on that occasion, and did not show themselves again, but made the best of their way through the woods and jungle by some paths that we did not know, and hence we did not follow them further. It must have been dreadfully dangerous. Yes, life was the game we played for, and it was won and lost often enough during that war, but we must expect it should be so. But you are now safe. Yes, I am now safe, and I may say happy. I have had some knocks, and am none the better for them bodily but then I have had them well paid for, so I must not complain. I have now but one object to attain before I die. And what may that be, Colonel, if it be no secret? It is not to you, Miss Meredith, said the Colonel. It is an early day, a day on which I may claim you as my own. Then, indeed, I shall have lived and accomplished something, an object worth living for, and, may I say so, worth dying for. Ah, uh, I hope you may live many years yet, Colonel, many years of life and happiness, to enjoy the fortune you have so gallantly won. Indeed, I think no fortune ought to give so much joy as the soldiers. And why, Miss Meredith? Because there is none so arduously won, won often with bloodshed and even life. It ought, indeed, to give great and lasting happiness. If I obtain my wishes, I shall be the happiest man in the universe and I would go through all I have gone through over, I twice over, and that is no little, to have such a reward as the one I now seek. It is the crowning happiness of my life. You are very kind to say all this. Ay, but I mean it. It is no common compliment, said the colonel. I mean what I say most earnestly. Do you believe what I say? I am not used to the pretty speeches of young men who make love. Perhaps I ought, but I am an old soldier, and am but little used to these ways. However, I have spoken my mind, and I hope you will not allow anyone else to injure my cause. Anything you have said, Colonel Deverell, 
has been of too serious a nature for me to think of anything save the object itself. Your conduct has been that of a gentleman, and I should be wanting in respect to myself, and courtesy to you, to think otherwise than seriously of it, was the wily reply of Margaret. You have my own thoughts, said the colonel. There is my ma, said Margaret, as the knocker and bell sounded. You will do your utmost with Mrs. Meredith for me, and I will beseech her myself, said the colonel. I hope she will take things in a favorable light. End of chapter 132 Recording by Tricia G.